shadowed by death. The consultation thereupon took place in Lupin's presence. Monsieur Darcieux's face was worn with much suffering, and his eyes were bright with fever. He complained particularly that day of his heart. After the auscultation, he questioned the doctor with obvious anxiety, and each reply seemed to give him relief. He also spoke of Jeanne, and expressed his conviction that they were deceiving him and that his daughter had escaped yet more accidents. He continued perturbed in spite of the doctor's denials. He wanted to have the police informed and inquiries set on foot. But his excitement tired him, and he gradually dropped off to sleep. Lupin stopped the doctor in the passage. Come, doctor, give me your exact opinion. Do you think that Monsieur Darcieux's illness can be attributed to an outside cause? How do you mean? Well, suppose that the same enemy should be interested in removing both father and daughter. The doctor seemed struck by this suggestion. Upon my word, there is something in what you say. The father's illness at times adopts such a very unusual character. For instance, the paralysis of the legs, which is almost complete, ought to be accompanied by... The doctor reflected for a moment, and then said in a low voice, You think it's poison, of course. But what poison? Besides, I see no toxic symptoms. It would have to be... But what are you doing? What's the matter? The two men were talking outside a little sitting-room on the first floor where Jeanne, seizing the opportunity while the doctor was with her father, had begun her evening meal. Lupin, who was watching her through the open door, saw her lift a cup to her lips and take a few sips. Suddenly, he rushed at her and caught her by the arm. "'What are you drinking there?' "'Why,' she said, taken aback, "'only tea.' "'You pulled a face of disgust. What made you do that?' "'I don't know. I thought—' "'You thought what?' That, that, it tasted rather bitter. But I expect that comes from the medicine I mixed with it. What medicine? Some drops which I take at dinner. The drops which you prescribed for me, you know, doctor. Yes, yes, said Dr. Guerroux, but that medicine has no taste of any kind. You know it hasn't, Jeanne, for you have been taking it for a fortnight, and this is the first time. Quite right, said the girl, and this does have a taste. There, oh, Oh, my mouth is still burning. Dr. Guerroux now took a sip from the cup. Faw! he exclaimed, spitting it out again. There's no mistake about it. Lupin, on his side, was examining the bottle containing... Lupin, on his side, was examining the bottle containing the medicine, and he asked, Where is this bottle kept in the daytime? But Jeanne was unable to answer. She had put her hands to her heart, and, wan-faced, with staring eyes, seemed to be suffering great pain. It hurts. It hurts, she stammered. The two men quickly carried her to her room and laid her on the bed. She ought to have an emetic, said Lupin. Open the cupboard, said the doctor. You'll see a medicine case. Have you got it? Take out one of those little tubes. Yes, that one. And now some hot water. You'll find some on the tea tray in the other room. Jeanne's own maid came running up in answer to the bell. Lupin told her that Mademoiselle Darcieux had been taken unwell for some unknown reason. He next returned to the little dining room, inspected the sideboard and the cupboards, went down to the kitchen, and pretended that the doctor had sent him to ask about Monsieur Darcieux's diet. 
Without appearing to do so, he catechized the cook, the butler, and Baptiste, the lodgekeeper, who had his meals at the manor house with the servants. Then he went back to the doctor. Well, she's asleep. Any danger? No. Fortunately, she had only taken two or three sips. But this is the second time today that you have saved her life, as the analysis of this bottle will show. Quite superfluous to make an analysis, doctor. There is no doubt about the fact that there has been an attempt at poisoning. By whom? I can't say. But the demon who is engineering all this business clearly knows the ways of the house. He comes and goes as he pleases, walks about in the park, files the dog's chain, mixes poison with food, and, in short, moves and acts precisely as though he were living the very life of her or of those whom he wants to put away. Ah, you really believe that Monsieur Darcieux is threatened with the same danger? I have no doubt about it. Then it must be one of the servants. But that is most unlikely. Do you think... I think nothing, doctor. I know nothing. All I can say is that the situation is most tragic, and that we must be prepared for the worst. Death is here, doctor, shadowing the people in this house, and it will soon strike at those whom it is pursuing. What's to be done? Watch, doctor. Let us pretend that we are alarmed about Monsieur Darcieux's health and spend the night in here. The bedrooms of both the father and daughter are close by. If anything happens, we are sure to hear. There was an easy chair in the room. They arranged to sleep in it one after the other. In reality, Lupin slept for only two or three hours. In the middle of the night, he left the room, without disturbing his companion, carefully looked round the whole of the house, and walked out through the principal gate. He reached Paris on his motorcycle at nine o'clock in the morning. Two of his friends, to whom he telephoned on the road, met him there. They all three spent the day in making searches which Lupin had planned out beforehand. He set out again hurriedly at six o'clock. And never, perhaps, as he told me subsequently, did he risk his life with greater temerity than on this breakneck ride, at a mad rate of speed, on a foggy December evening, with the light of his lamp hardly able to pierce through the darkness. He sprang from his motorcycle outside the gate, which was still open, ran to the house, and reached the first floor in a few bounds. There was no one in the little dining room. Without hesitating, without knocking, he walked into Jeanne's bedroom. Ah, here you are, he said with a sigh of relief, seeing Jeanne and the doctor sitting side by side, talking. What, any news? asked the doctor, alarmed at seeing such a state of agitation in a man whose coolness he had had occasion to observe. No, said Lupin, no news. And here? None here either. We have just left Monsieur Darcieux. He has had an excellent day, and he ate his dinner with a good appetite. As for Jeanne, you can see for yourself she has all her pretty color back again. Then she must go. Go? But it's out of the question, protested the girl. You must go. You must, cried Lupin with real violence, stamping his foot on the floor. He at once mastered himself, spoke a few words of apology, and then, for three or four minutes, preserved a complete silence, which the doctor and Jeanne were careful not to disturb. At last, he said to the young girl, You shall go tomorrow morning, mademoiselle. It will be only for one or two weeks. I will take you to your friend at Versailles, the one to whom you were writing. 
I entreat you to get everything ready tonight without concealment of any kind. Let the servants know you are going. On the other hand, the doctor will be good enough to tell Monsieur Darcieux and give him to understand, with every possible precaution, that this journey is essential to your safety. Besides, he can join you as soon as his strength permits. That's settled, is it not? Yes, she said, absolutely dominated by Lupin's gentle and imperious voice. In that case, he said, be as quick as you can, and do not stir from your room. But, said the girl with a shudder, am I to stay alone tonight? Fear nothing. Should there be the least danger, the doctor and I will come back. Do not open your door unless you hear three very light taps. Jeanne at once rang for her maid. The doctor went to Monsieur Darcieux, while Lupin had some supper brought to him in the little dining room. That's done said the doctor, returning to him in twenty minutes' time. Monsieur Darcieux did not raise any great difficulty. As a matter of fact, he himself thinks it just as well that we should send Jeanne away. They went downstairs together and left the house. On reaching the lodge, Lupin called the keeper. You can shut the gate, my man. If Monsieur Darcieux should want us, send for us at once. The clock of Maupertuis Church struck ten. The sky was overcast with black clouds, through which the moon broke at moments. The two men walked on for sixty or seventy yards. They were nearing the village when Lupin gripped his companion by the arm. Stop! What on earth's the matter? exclaimed the doctor. The matter is this, Lupin jerked out that, if my calculations turn out right, if I have not misjudged the business from start to finish, Mademoiselle Darcieux will be murdered before the night is out. Hey, what's that? gasped the doctor in dismay. But then, why did we go? With the precise object that the miscreant, who is watching all our movements in the dark, may not postpone his crime and may perpetrate it, not at the hour chosen by himself, but at the hour which I have decided upon. Then we are returning to the manor house. Yes, of course we are, but separately. In that case, let us go at once. Listen to me, doctor, said Lupin in a steady voice, and let us waste no time in useless words. Above all, we must defeat any attempt to watch us. You will therefore go straight home and not come out again until you are quite certain that you have not been followed. You will then make for the walls of the property, keeping to the left, till you come to the little door of the kitchen garden. Here is the key. When the church clock strikes eleven, open the door very gently and walk right up to the terrace at the back of the house. The fifth window is badly fastened. You have only to climb over the balcony. As soon as you are inside Mademoiselle Darcieux's room, bolt the door and don't budge. You quite understand. Don't budge, either of you, whatever happens. I have noticed that Mademoiselle Darcieux leaves her dressing room window ajar. Isn't that so? Yes, it's a habit which I taught her. That's the way they'll come. And you? That's the way I shall come also. And do you know who the villain is? Lupin hesitated and then replied, No, I don't know. And that is just how we shall find out. But I implore you, keep cool. Not a word, not a movement, whatever happens. I promise you. I want more than that, doctor. You must give me your word of honor. I give you my word of honor. 
The doctor went away. Lupin at once climbed a neighboring mound from which he could see the windows of the first and second floor. Several of them were lit. He waited for some little time. The lights went out one by one. Then, taking the direction opposite that in which the doctor had gone, he branched off to the right and skirted the wall until he came to the clump of trees near which he had hidden his motorcycle on the day before. Eleven o'clock struck. He calculated the time that it would take the doctor to cross the kitchen garden and make his way into the house. That's one point scored, he muttered. Everything's all right on that side. And now, Lupin to the rescue? The enemy won't be long before he plays his last trump, and by all the gods, I must be there. He went through the same performance as on the first occasion, pulled down the branch, and hoisted himself to the top of the wall, from which he was able to reach the bigger boughs of the tree. Just then, he pricked up his ears. He seemed to hear a rustling of dead leaves, and he actually perceived a dark form moving on the level. Thirty yards away. Hang it all, he said to himself. I'm done. This scoundrel has smelt a rat. A moonbeam pierced through the clouds. Lupin distinctly saw the man take aim. He tried to jump to the ground and turned his head, but he felt something hit him in the chest, heard the sound of a report, uttered an angry oath, and came crashing down from branch to branch like a corpse. <laughs>